Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is John Hunter Nemechek from Nimco Motorsports, and you're listening to Thursday Night Thunder on the Speedway Digest Radio Network. Hello and welcome to the June 1st edition of Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder, episode 110 of the series. I'm your host, Adam Jason Sinclair, and on tonight's program, Michael Mulally and myself review this past weekend of racing. We'll begin some might consider the true Super Bowl of autosports and chat about whatever other exciting news of the world of modern auto racing pops into the conversation. The race weekend began in full force on Friday. Matthew Matthias Least, hopefully I'm not butchering his name too much, led from pole position to checkered flag in the Freedom 100 during a well-deserved maiden Indian lights presented by Cooper Tires victory. But this was no walkover for the Carlin team's Brazilian rookie who came under intense pressure from several under contenders during an exciting 40-lap, 100-mile race in front of a bumper crowd on Carb Day at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Fellow rookie Aaron Kellett of Lardy Auto Racing barely edged Canadian Dalton Kellett of Indred Autosport for second place on the run to the flag. Weather conditions were markedly improved over yesterday, and persistent rain forced qualifying to be delayed for more than four hours. Instead, sunny skies and warm temperatures greeted the talented field of 14 drivers as they assembled on the historic Brickyard Oval. After country music star and mother of Indy Lights racer Shelby Blackstock, Reba McIntyre's shocking rendition of the national anthem, the action began early as Canadian Zachary Clayman DeMeo made a storming start from fifth on the grid to tuck in behind Carlin's teammate, Lee at turn one. Behind, Kelly also got a run on Colton Hertha, who started on the front row for Andretti Steinbrenner Racing. Unfortunately, in trying to, in trying to hold off Kelly on turn two, Hertha barely clipped his teammate's front wing, which in turn tipped him into a spin. Worst teammate Ryan Norman from Aurora, Ohio, who had qualified a fine fourth, was unable to avoid the spinning number 98 car. Exit two contenders even before the field was fully up to After five laps of caution to clear away the wreckage, Least held on to his advantage over Clayman DeMeo at the restart, followed by the third Carlin Delara Mazda IL-15 of Neil Alberico, who we've had on this program before, who defrauded Kellett with a bold outside line pass into turn one. The race settled into rhythm, with least turning consistent laps, at average speed of around 195 miles per hour at the head of the field. Clement DeMio held on to second until lap 13, when Kellett drafted past his countrymen on the inside line at turn three. Kellett took advantage of DeMio's slight loss of momentum to move into third. Then, on lap 19, second, when he drafted past Kellett on the entrance to turn three. Six cars were in virtually nose to tail for the majority of the race, with Blaze holding on to the lead ahead of Kellett, Kellett, Alvarico, Clayman, DeMello, and Santi Bellardi Auto Racing, who, after starting 12th, moved up steadily through the pack during the middle portion of the race to claim the Tilton Hard Charger Award. Police, too, was looking especially racy. Last year's winner of the Pro Mazda Championship, presented by Cooper Tires, made his first challenge for the lead on lap 30, only to be rebuffed and then tried again a couple of laps later around the outside at turn one. Lee barely clung onto the lead as they sped into turn two, 
whereupon Tellip tried again at turn three. Once again, Leus held his ground, leaving Tellip to lose a little valuable momentum and a position to Kellip. That was as close as anyone got to usurping the 18-year-old Brazilian who kept, who held on to claim the win. After finishing a career best third in last year's Freedom 100, Kellett was unable to make a move on least in the final stages and said found himself passed on the run to the line by a fired-up Kellett's. Alperico maintained a strong run of recent finishes in fourth place, while the expected challenge for Mauricia, who post- posted the fastest lap of the race with a new record of 198.104 miles per hour, failed to materialize after he glanced the wall at turn two with a few laps remaining. Eurisha maintained control of his car and held on to finish fifth ahead of Clayman de Mello, who also pressed the wall in turn one. Californian Kyle Kaiser, despite finishing a disappointed ninth for Junko's racing, actually stretched his championship lead by one point to 14 over Frenchman Nico Dermin, who struggled to a distant tenth for Andretti Autosport. The Indy Lights contenders will be in action next at Elkhart Lakes, Fans World, America, and Wisconsin on June 23rd through the 25th. Alex Udell earned, top, earned two top ten finishes in round seven and eight of the Rally World Challenge for next championship at Lime Rock Park over the Memorial Day weekend. The resident of the Woodlands, Texas, is competing in the combined Rally World Challenge GT Championship, which includes both the 60-minute two-drivers X format, such as Lime Rock Park and Lakewood, Connecticut, and the 50-minute single-driver system. Udell has shared the number 77 Calvert Dynamics Porsche 911 GT3R with Preston Calvert from Potomac, Maryland, for the first three event weekends of Sprint X. With the five first races of the 10-race Sprint X Porsche now complete, the junior Clemson University will turn his attention back to his solo effort in the number 17 at EuroWorld Motorsports GMG Porsche 911 GT3R for the immediate future. The 1.5-mile, seven-turn Limerock Park circuit in Connecticut saw Udell and Calvert finish in seventh place in race one on Friday afternoon. The pairing followed with an eighth-place result on Saturday in race two. Contact at the start of Saturday's show upset the handling of the number 77, but Udell held on through the stint, lapping competitively and challenging per position. Calvert ran the final leg of the race and maintained a top-ten finish. The Spring Series will return to competition on August 11th through 13th at the Utah Motorsports Campus. The finale will take place at the Circuit of the Americas from September 1st through the 3rd. Moving on to two-wheeled racing, RCH, Yoshimura Suzuki Factory Racing Riders Brock Tickle and Justin Fogel turn in strong performances in Saturday's annual Memorial Day weekend Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Championship event at Glen Helen Raceway. Tickle logged a sturdy 14-4 performance and was credited with the 7th place overall finish with Fogel notched while Bogle notched a solid 12-5 effort and was scored 8th at day's end. With two of 12 rounds complete, Tickle currently sits 8th in the championship, but a slim three-point margin leaves him within striking distance of Jason Anderson in 6th, while only five markers separate him from the top five. Meanwhile, Bogle leaves Glenn Helen ninth in the standings, only four points behind him, between him and his teammate. Tickle was 8th Tickle was to finish in Saturday's final qualifying session, but struggled out of the starting gate in the first moto. The Holly Michigan rider raced through the first corner of the opening 30-minute plus two laps moto, 15th in the running order, and spent the rest of the session trying to reel in the top 10. Unfortunately, with less than five laps to go, Tickle stalled his machine, leaving him 14th when the checkers waved on the first Vermeer 
for 50 class moto of the weekend. Bogle was sixth immediately following the first gate drop, but the Cushing Oakland rider faded as the moto wore on, leaving him 12th at the break. Back at the starting gate for the second moto, the rider of the number 19 Suzuki RMZC got another strong jump on the competition and rounded the first corner inside the top five. Bogle was a fixture near the front of the field for the rest of the afternoon and was rewarded with his first top five moto finish of the season at day's end. Tickle bettered his first moto from the moment the gate dropped on the second and was scored seventh before completing the first lap. As the race wore on, the rider of the number 20 Suzuki set his sights high on the leaders, eventually cracking the top four to earn his best moto finish of the young season. The first moto from round three of the 2017 Lucas Oil Pro Motorcross Championship from the True Valley Thunder Valley National in Lakewood, Colorado, will be televised live on MAV TV on Saturday, June 3rd, beginning at 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, noon Pacific. Broadcast coverage for the second moto will be televised on a tape delay basis on NBC Sports Network at 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, 3 p.m. Pacific. All motos can be streamed live on the NBC Sports Gold app, NBC, NBCSN, and at MAV TV, and will combine to provide extensive television coverage over the course of the 12-round season. Capping off each round of the championship will be exclusive one-hour highlight shows on NBC Sportsnet, each airing within a handful of days of every national. One of, if not the biggest race of the weekend, was the Indy 500. Japanese driver Takuma Sato scored his second career Verizon IndyCar Series victory when he saw the double checkers wave through the Indiana sky. Marking his 123rd career IndyCar start, the 40-year-old began today's Indianapolis 500 from the fourth position and battled through 200 laps before driving his number 26 Ruoff home mortgage Honda to victory lane. Today's win in Sato's first with Andretti Autosport after joining the team for the 2017 season. Sato earned his first victory on the streets of Long Beach, California in 2013. This is the 56th Verizon IndyCar Series victory for Andretti Autosport. Since 2003, Andretti Autosport has scored four series titles, 2004 with Canon, 2005 with Weldon, 2007 with Dario Franchitti, and 2012 with Brian Hunter-Way. And four Indianapolis 500 wins. 2005 with Dan Weldon, 2007 with Dario Franchitti, 2014 with Ryan Hunter Ray, and 2016 last year with Alexander Rossi. Andretti Autosport has four full time entries in the Verizon IndyCar series with Sato, Alexander Rossi in the number 98 Napa Autosport's Curb Honda, Marco Andretti in the number 27 United Fiber and Data Honda, and Ryan Hunter Ray in the number 28 DHL Honda, and two Indy 500 only drivers including Fernando Alonso, who raced in the number 29 McLaren Honda Andretti, and Jack Harvey, who raced in the number 50, and Michael Trank, racing with Andretti Autosport Honda. We'd now like to welcome our first guest of the night, Graham Rahal, who finished 12th at the Indy 500, currently participates in the Indy 500 series with Rahal Lemon Lanigan Racing, which is a team part owned by his father, Bobby Rahal, the winner of the 1986 Indianapolis 500. He is married to Courtney Force and sponsored by Steak and Shake. <clears throat> Excuse me. Rahal was kind enough to sit down for a recorded interview prior to last week's race. So I'm not going to promise anything with the quality of this recording, but we'll give it a shot. First question, tell us about your family tradition of racing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway.
500 coming up now. Uh, been around it a long time. We've got our team's been here for for 20 plus years. So uh, lots of lots of history, uh, rich history here at Indianapolis. Looking forward to being back and uh, racing in my tent. Hopefully, you know the best results uh, are yet to come. Drive for Cohen by your father, David Lerman, and Michael Lanigan. What roles do each of them play on race day? Well, on race day, all the owners are, are kind of equally as involved, I would say. None of them um, are there uh, on the pit stand making the, the pit calls and the decisions that, that, uh, that are crucial in the race. Having said that, uh, you know, my dad is very influential on the personnel and everything that we do uh, from that standpoint. Obviously, Letterman is the guy who's probably down there. He's in the thick of it. He likes to be right in pit lane. He likes to watch all the pit stops, uh, you know, and be around. So he's probably the guy who's actually, when it comes to race day, uh, the most involved. And then Mike Lanigan, our other boss, he spends a lot of the time, you know, up with partners and sponsors and all of our guests, of which here at the Speedway, there, there are literally thousands that, uh, of people that will be attending with us. So, um, you know, he's, uh, he's entertaining them. We hear Steak and Shake has a new summer yeah, menu. Yeah, so Steak and Shake uh, has been a great sponsor and partner of ours. They, they do have some new items, as you guys can see. Um, right here we have the bacon and cheese triple extreme burger, which looks pretty awesome. Uh, definitely I've uh, been sitting here staring at it. Um, looking forward to, to giving that a shot. And then a, a Kit Kat milkshake and a strawberry cheesecake milkshake. So as we all know, in the summertime, it can get nice and toasty. And uh, so those are going to cool us off. And tradition here at Indy is, is, a, is a glass of milk after you win. So obviously we're going to have to carry through with that if we can get it done, but we'll be able to enjoy a nice milkshake in victory lane too. Has your wife, Nature A superstar Courtney Force, given you any tips on how to go faster? Well, I mean, not really. You know, it's, uh, I think, you know, drag racing and IndyCar racing are two completely different things. Obviously, Yes, she's faster than me, you know, that's, that's what everybody wants to hear. But, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're apples and oranges, so two completely different uh, forms of racing. But, uh, you know, it's, it's great to uh, be there and support her on her weekends, and it's going to be nice to have her here with us at the Indy 500. Do you have any pre-race habits that you find help you prepare for your big weekends? Well, it's difficult to have a pre-race habit just from the standpoint that, you know, there's a lot that's going on um, here in Indy. There really won't be much time at all to, to get away, to relax, to stretch out, to think about things. A lot of sponsor commitments. Uh, other places that we go to, yes, you know, for me, um, I like to get a lot of time to kind of lay down and, and just think and clear my mind before I get in the car. I'm a little bit superstitious from time to time. But overall, it just depends on where you're at and, and, and how much time you have to, uh, to just get away. Where can our listeners go for more information? Uh, viewers can go, whether you're on uh, steakandshake.com or social media, everything's at Steak and Shake. We also use hashtag SNS Racing. So make sure you uh, tag us. And then for myself, everything's just at Graham Rahal. So, uh, you know, we appreciate uh, you guys having us on. And uh, thank uh, all the fans for their great support of, of myself and of Steak and Shake. It's meant a lot to us over the years. Once again, we'd like to thank Graham Rahal for his for his support and for the opportunity to interview him the other day. That was pretty awesome. Actually, getting to talk to him briefly on Friday. He had a really busy day going, so it was pretty neat to get to talk to him the other day. F1 
one would definitely argue as to which open-wheel race was more important. However, on a track, where passing comes at a premium and qualifying takes on added significance, Haas F1 team drivers Romain Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen scored the American Outfit's first double points result in the 75th Monaco Grand Prix Sunday at Circuit de Monaco. The duo finished 8th and 10th, respectively, in the 6th round of the 2017 FIA Formula 1 World Championship after earning strong starting spots in qualifying Saturday. Grosjean began the 78-lap race around the historic 3.337-kilometer, 2.074-mile, 19-turn street course from 8th in the 20-car field, while Magnussen was 11th. These upfront starting spots earned Saturday set stage for Sunday's milestone performance, as the track's incredibly tight layout, which remained relatively unchanged since 1929, makes overtaking nearly impossible. The unusually chaotic start was relatively calm by Formula One standards, and Brochon had on to his well-earned eighth-place position. Magnussen, meanwhile, outdueled the Renault of Nico Hulkenberg and the Toro Rosso of Daniel Kvyat to, to pick up ninth place. And when seventh place, force India driver Sergio Perez pitted for a new front wing on lap 16. Grosjean inherited 7th, and Magnussen moved up to 8th. Both Haas F1 team pilots were on a one-stop strategy and each began the race on Pirelli P0 purple ultra-soft tires. Despite these tires being the softest and theoretically having the shortest lifespan of any tire in Pirelli's lineup, teams were able to put an inordinate number of laps on the ultrasoft. For Haas F1 team strategists, the team to pit would be determined by a combination of tire wear and where its drivers were on the racetrack in relation to other teams. Ideally, Grosjean and Magnussen would have enough of a gap between their rivals to enter and exit the pits without losing position. Magnussen was first into the pits on lap 37, and Grosjean made his stop on lap 40. Both took on red super soft tires, per the regulation stating the minimum of two tire compounds must be used during the race. The stops slightly jumbled the racing the running order, with Grosjean emerging in ninth and Magnussen in tenth on lap 42. The always quick Mercedes of Lewis Hamilton jumped up to sixth during this time, as he still hadn't made his obligatory stop after starting the race since characteristic 13th. Misfortune struck Magnuson on lap 42 as a left rear tire puncture sent him back to the pits for an unscheduled stop. He returned to the race on the preferred ultra-soft tire but was neared by the 13th Gross John, meanwhile moved up to 8th on the lap 43 when Stoffel van Dory pitted his McLaren. After adversity bit Magnuson, he began to benefit from the attrition of others. It began on lap 2 with Pascal Werlin Sabero was overturned at the entry to Port Tier, Turn 8, just ahead of the tunnel after contact with the McLaren of Jensen Button. This resulted in a full-course yellow, which bunched up the field. Racing resumed on lap, 100, lap 66, excuse me, and immediately 10th place Van Dorn went wide at St. Devot, Turn 1, hitting the barrier and ending his race. This allowed Magnuson to move up to 12th. Then, on lap 72, Perez made an aggressive move on Kvyat, at Rascas, turn 18, the two collided, with Kvyat's day coming to an end and Perez forced to make an unscheduled pit stop for a flat tire. This encounter boosted Magnuson to 10th and back into the points. 
For the remaining six laps, Gross John maintained eighth and Magnuson held on to tenth. It was Gross John's third point paying finish of the season and Magnuson's second. The double point finish came in just Haas one team's 27th race as the team debuted at last year's season opening, Australian Grand Prix. Haas F1 team is now seventh and the constructors' standing tied with the factory Renault team with 14 points apiece. Sixth place Williams is just six points ahead, and eighth place Suburb is ten points back. Gross John and Magnuson are twelfth and thirteenth, respectively, in the drivers' standings. Gross John has nine points, and Magnuson has five. Winning the Monaco Grand Prix was Formula was four-time Formula One champion Sebastian Vettel. It was his forty-fifth Formula One career victory for the Scuderia Ferrari driver, his third of the season, and his second at Monaco. Vettel's margin of victory was 3.145 seconds over teammate Kimi Räikkönen, and it significantly bolstered his lead in the championship standings. Vettel came into Monaco with a six-point lead over Hamilton and leaves with a 25-point margin. The Monaco win was Scuderia Ferrari's first at Monaco since 2001, and it allowed the iconic mark to overtake Mercedes in the constructors' chance. Scuderia Ferrari now leads Mercedes by 17 points with 14 races remaining. Formula One takes a weekend off before returning to action June 9th through 11th for the Canadian Grand Prix at Cirque Gilles Villeneuve in Montreal. Of course, not all motorsports take place on land. Spectacular weather sold out seating a full field of boats with the world's best race teams competing with Team CRC Sunlight Supply, taking top honors in the Superboat Unlimited class. With multiple class winners and new teams entering the circuit, Superboat International, SCI, and local event producer Carrie Bartlett were overwhelmingly pleased with the success of the 8th annual event. Teams converged on Minuteman Causeway and recently renovated downtown Togo Beach for the annual block party amid large, large festive crowds. The Performance Boat Center continued their winning streak after coming off a world title this past November. They took a lot of lead laps and the checkered finish in the Superboat class comprised of many class veterans. AMH Construction, Phantom FJ Propeller, and Second Amendment also took first place finishes in their respective classes with hard-fought battles among the boats. This year's season opener on Cocoa Beach brought out new racers, new boats, and new teammates to compete in this season's event. Super Road Class, the premier class with the most entrants, saw new entry MCON 06, along with new teams and other classes and many existing, team, existing teams with new boats. 28 boats competed in Cocoa Beach this year, which was a great start to the new season. The next race on the Superboat Circuit is the second annual Cleveland Construction Grand Prix, coming July 21st through the 23rd. If you can't make it, you can catch it live on Superboat.com. Fans can also go to Superboat.com to register and watch all the exciting action. This year, streaming is on pay-per-view to support the efforts to bring back the best coverage possible. If you missed the live coverage, you can also go back to watch the races on video on demand. We'd also like to congratulate Austin Dillon on his victory in the Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte Motor Speedway. We still have a couple of moments till our next guest is scheduled to come on the program. So let's go ahead and take a small musical break with Ron Pastana and Pit Crew. This is Angel in Flames. Flames on fire, 
Coming in to help review the Indy 500, as well as the rest of the racing this weekend, is Missy Linker. She's a co-host of the Indy Car Sports Car Podcast, and we are pleased to welcome her back to the program. Hello, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back again. First off, what was it like to attend the Indy 500 in person? Uh, well, the Indy 500 is, a, I guess, an animal all its own. It's just a great, exhilarating feeling to be there in person and be surrounded by fans who just love, you know, the Indy 500 race. What was your most memorable moment of the weekend? I would have to say uh, Ed Jones winning, or not winning, but coming in third place because he's a very good friend of the show. We've had him on quite a few times, and it was very nice to see him get up on the podium as a rookie. Are you surprised that Sato came up on top of the 500 on Sunday? I'm a, I'm a little surprised, but then again, I'm not. Um, he is with a good team this year with Andretti, but um, I, I am a little bit surprised that he came out on top of all the, I guess, winners that I had in my head. Yeah, I can't say that Sato was one of them. <laughs> Do you think Alonzo will return to IndyCar next season? I want to say yes. I believe his contract is up this year in Formula One. Um, so, I mean, he didn't have the best, you know, with the Honda engine, of course, giving out in the 500, which, you know, he's having problems over in, you know, Formula One with the Honda. But um, I, I want to say yes. I think, you know, this gave a little taste. If he doesn't come over, I think we might see McLaren in Indy next year, um, mm-hmm. maybe for the full season, because I just feel like, you know, this might have been their test run to see how IndyCar operates and everything. So I, I hope we won't see McLaren, you know, next year in IndyCar. Which driver in the Mazda Road Indy do you think we'll see most from in the future? Right now, I'd have to say Oliver Askew at the moment. Um, he has been phenomenal in you know, the first couple races of the year. He was about to uh, quit racing right before he got the Mazda scholarship to um, race. So, I mean, he has just been you know, just phenomenal this year. So I think we would definitely see more of him this, you know, throughout the years to come. Well, let me throw you out to my co-host, Michael Mullally. There's a couple of questions for you as well. Who did you favor to win the Indy 500? I I actually favored Will Power to win. Uh, I think, you know, I thought it was his year. Uh, he's got everything else except for an Indy 500 win, so I, I was hoping he would win this year. But, you know, unfortunately he got collected in that last uh, crash, so it didn't happen. But it was always next year. And which events do you most look forward to um, throughout the year? Uh, of course, the Indy 500 is always on the top of my list, but um, I'd have to say now Road America is on the top of my list. I love going there. I loved it last year. Um, Watkins Glen is also on the top of my list because it's in my backyard. Um, I actually like Pocono, too, So, and actually, I like Iowa. I like a lot of races, but yeah, I like Iowa, too. I think they're all great races. And who... Who are some of the drivers that you happen to be most intrigued by, whether it's IndyCar or NASCAR or whatever kind of racing? Um, well, I mean, I I lately we've dove deep into the Mazda Road to Indy, so I, I love seeing those guys come up, um, you know, starting out. 
Uh, like I said, Oliver Skew has me intrigued. Uh, I'm intrigued by uh, Kalen Fredericks. He's 14 in USF 2000. Um, I love Pato. I mean, he's doing so great over in IMSA in the PC class. Um, you know, James French intrigues me. He's a nice guy. Uh, so, I mean, I love a lot of, you know, these different guys coming up. It's nice to see them um, coming up through the ranks and hopefully make it to IndyCar one day. But, yeah, there's so many guys that I just, you know, like I said, Ed Jones, he he intrigues me. He's been doing so well this year in uh, his first season with IndyCar. Um, so I just have so many on my list that intrigue me that I keep eyes on, you know, because they're just all – some of them I did, weren't even on my radar at the beginning of the season, but – a lot of them have come on my radar, like Minus VK is another one. He wasn't even on my radar in the beginning of the season, but he's popped up on my radar recently. So. And you told us your most memorable part about the weekend. What was the toughest part for you this weekend? Um, I think the toughest part was um, just, I guess, so many of the – I want to say so many of the Honda engines just – failing, you know, blowing, I mean, just, I mean, Ryan Hunter Ray was a victim, even Alonzo, I felt, you know, I felt so bad for him, because he, he looked great, I mean, I think if his engine didn't blow, um, he would have had a, you know, a very good finishing, um, finishing order there, but I just, I just feel like the Honda engines, I, I, it was just the most disappointing for me, thing that for me this weekend, I mean, the whole month of May, actually, I mean, they've had so many engines that they've had to replace, I just, I hope they fix that soon, you know, but. That was the most disappointing thing for me this weekend was those Honda engines letting go. And my final question for you is, with this Indy 500 in the book, what are you most looking forward to, do you think, come the next Indy 500? I think the new car that's coming out next year, I, you know, I would love to see how that's going to perform next season on the, at the 500. And I also like to, you know, of course, you know, who's going to, try the 500 next year. You know, I hope to see, you know, Alonzo back, uh, see if he'll come back for the 500, or hopefully the whole IndyCar season. We would definitely welcome him uh, over here. He was a very nice guy. I met him at um, Barber when he was there at Barber. He was very nice, so I hope to see him back. But, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the new cars for next season. Uh, so that should be very interesting, especially for the 500. And where can our listeners find more information about your program? Uh, you can find us on our website is www.theindysportscarpodcast. Uh, you can also find us at Twitter at ISCP Podcast, two P's in there. Um, Facebook, you know, uh, Indie Sports Car Podcast. Um, I think Instagram, we're on there, the Indie Sports Car Podcast. Uh, my Twitter is at Missy Links, and my co-host uh, is at Links, but his is double L's because apparently Links was already taken on Twitter. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for coming on again, and we look forward to talking to you again next time. Thank you. Are you a race car driver, crew chief, pit member, track owner, or maybe you're just a huge fan of the sport? Contact either Michael Mullally or myself to get your spot on the show. After all, you deserve your 15 minutes of fame, and we'd love to hear from you. Did you know? A Formula One car's exhaust gets hot enough to melt aluminum. It can reach 1,000 degrees Celsius, whereas aluminum melts 660 degrees. As a result, it's made up out of exotic metal so expensive that the average road car costs less than a set of F1 tailpipes. In 1979, the Daytona 500 became the first 500-mile race to be televised live in its eternity. 
In December 1995, at the age of 10, Lewis Hamilton approached McLaren team principal Ron Dennis at the Autosport Awards ceremony and told him, I want to race for you one day. I want to race for McLaren. Twelve years later, he made his F1 debut for McLaren, again the youngest ever to drive for the team. There's at least one Richard Petty album out there. No, the king didn't sing on it, but the LP contained sounds from racetrack and Petty talking about racing. Auto racing has been around almost as long as the automobile itself. The first auto race was held in 1894. It was organized by Le Petit Journal, a magazine in Paris, to test the reliability and performance of the vehicle. The first race in the United States was held one year later at a 54.36-mile course in Chicago. Last weekend may have been the biggest weekend of racing so far in 2017, but this next weekend is nothing to sneeze at either. At last year's Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix, presented by Lear at the Belle Isle Street Course, the Mazda prototype team scored third and fourth place finishes in the prototype class. This weekend, the goal is to improve upon those results in the Chevrolet Sports Car Classic, a one-hour, 40-minute sprint race that takes the green flag this Saturday at 12.40 p.m. Eastern Time for the Enzo WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. The 2.3-mile, 14-turn street circuit presents a number of challenges for the drivers in the Mazda prototypes under the Daytona Prototype International DPI rules. Bomarito and Nunez scored podium finishes earlier this year in the street side, the seaside street circuit at the Long Beach Grand Prix. A constant theme this year's series is the challenge of battling with traffic amongst different classes on track at the same time. This race will be televised on Fox Sports 2 at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time and can be heard worldwide online from IMSA Radio slash Radio Lama. IMSA.tv will carry a live video of all practice and qualifying sessions. The Porsche Club of America PCA Club Racing Porsche Cayman GT4 Club Sport Trophy East Series will return to iconic Watkins Glen International as part of the 17th Annual Clash at the Glen PCA event June 2nd through the 4th. Drivers enjoyed post-competitive racing in humid temperatures and stormy weather conditions at Scenic Barber Motorsports Park for the first time during the annual Barber Historic Weekend two weeks ago. Now 18 drivers will compete on the 3.4-mile, 11-turn hilltop track located in Watkins Glen, New York, at the southern tip of Seneca Lake. Tennessee PCA region member Kurt Swearingen, who was a rookie and a bit of an underdog during the inaugural 2016 season, and a past guest on this program, has won seven straight races in the championship class since the season wrapped up at Daytona National Speedway last October. After winning his very first race at Daytona, he followed it up this year by sweeping both weekends at Road Atlanta and Barbara Motorsports Park, winning both sprints and enduros in his number 18 Advanced Collision Incorporated Motorsports Industry. David Baum, who represents the Western Michigan PCA region, has been close on swearing in heels this season in his number 24 Autometrics Motorsports Entry. The 2016 second-place championship class driver is second in points this year and recently gained three podium finishes, including a second-place performance in the Enduro at Barber. In the Masters class, which is designated for drivers 57 years old and older, three series newcomers have been consistently getting on podium this year. NOLA Sports' John Crosby, Kathy Mead, who represents the Hill Country PCA region, and Connecticut Valley PCA region member Charlie Craig, who drives the number 76 Automatic Motorsports entry, are having early success in the series after the first two events of the season. Meade is now leading Crosby by just one point, 59 to 58, with Craig following with 47 points. 
top racing father and son duo David and Russell Walker are also hoping to continue their enduro success after two third-place finishes while sharing their number 28 top racing entry at Road Atlanta and Barber this the PCA Club Racing Porsche Cayman GT4 Club Sport Trophy E-Series will be part of five car classes racing at this weekend's event, which will feature more than 270 Porsches racing on one of the most well-known tracks in the world. There will be three practice sessions on Friday, June 2nd. The third practice session at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time will be used to set the grade for the first sprint race. On Saturday, June 3rd, the drivers will have two sprint races at 9.15 a.m. and 1.45 p.m. The 80-minute endurance race will start 4.30 p.m. on Sunday, June 4th. In other news, officials from Ram Racing and the development team of Wintron Racing announced today that racing ARCA Racing Series presented by Mars and NASCAR Kimbrough Truck Series driver Justin Fontaine, who we had the pleasure of speaking with both before and after his recent accident, has been medically cleared to return to competition, effective immediately. Fontaine, 19, suffered a mild compression fracture of his L1 vertebrae during a late race accident in Arca's season opening Lucas Oil Complete Engine Treatment 200, driven by General Tire at Daytona, Florida, International Speedway, on February 18th. He was released from Halifax Medical Center in Daytona Beach, Florida, the following afternoon. With his clearance, Fontaine will return to Arca and compete in Saturday's Shore Lunch 250 at Elko, Minnesota Speedway aboard the number 33 Chromatic Auto, Auto Nation Toyota Camp. Fontaine, a native of Asheville, North Carolina, participated in a private test at Motor Mile Speedway this past Friday, where the driver went through a ruling test session, getting reacclimated behind the wheel, but more importantly, making sure that Fontaine himself was comfortable and competitive. After meeting with management and consulting with series officials, the decision was made for Fontaine to return this weekend. Fontaine will make his second career ARCA start, but eyes at top, top top 10 finish in his return to give him a boost he'd welcome ahead of a busy summer schedule. Wintron Racing Team Principal Kevin Swinsky, who attended the Motor Mile test, says Fontaine quickly got up to speed and achieved the goals taught of him. While sticking with the heavy ARCA schedule for now, Fontaine's focus is expected to turn towards the NASCAR Cameroon Truck Series, where he compete in a limited schedule this summer in AM racing entry. The Shore Lunch 250, 250 laps, 94 miles, is the sixth of 20 races on the 2017 ARCA Racing Series presented by Menard's schedule. Practice begins Saturday, June 3rd, with an hour-and-a-half practice session planned from 1.30 p.m. to 3 p.m. General tire pole qualifying is set for later in the day at 5 p.m. The race is set to take the green flag later that night, shortly after 8 p.m. The event will be broadcasted live on MAV-TV, while ARCARacing.com will also stream live timing and scoring throughout the day's activities. All times are local. We'd also like to mention that NASCAR will be competing this weekend at Dover International Raceway, although we didn't get quite as much information about that event. You'll be able to Figure that out on your own. It'll probably be broadcast on Fox Sports, as most of the NASCAR events are this time of year. Be sure to check out past episodes of Thursday Night Thunder, as well as all the other shows on the Speedway Digest Radio Network at SpeedwayDigestRadioNetwork.com. You can also check out the show on Facebook by searching for Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder in the search bar. I also invite you to read the articles covering all aspects of more sports at SpeedwayDigest.com. This week, you'll notice that we had a, a much longer scripted program than we normally do, but I figured it would work out pretty well since it was a busier weekend in racing. So I didn't have quite as many articles posted on SpeedwayDigest.com in the racing news section. 
because we actually discussed most of those on this evening's program. But there will be more stuff coming up, I assure you. I've got a few interviews scheduled, and I've got some other information that I'm looking forward to sharing with the audience at SpeedwayDigest.com shortly. In addition, if you're a fan of South Florida, and who isn't, be sure to check out the latest news and information about our slice of paradise at Palm Beach Happening, which can be found by visiting palmbeach.happeningmag.com. We have a bunch of new stuff going on the site there this week. Uh, we have some great interviews with some celebrity chefs. We're working on an interview with Art Smith, which I was hoping to post this evening, but I'm not sure if that's going to happen now. They haven't actually sent me the information yet. It's sort of lost in, uh, in the interweb somewhere, but I'm hoping to get that out sometime shortly. I also have an interview coming up with, uh, with Martin Cove from the Karate Kid fame, as well as all sorts of other movies, the uh, Kung Fu movies and little bit parts here and there and everywhere. But you'll be sure to recognize him. He was the guy who played the sensei in the Karate Kid films for Cobra Kai. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again June 8th in the Thunderdome as we discuss the major issues in the world of modern auto racing. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.